Amen. Grab a seat. Uh, Yeah, Father, we ask you to inform us and we ask you to transform us from the inside out today. It's good to be with you, Austin Stone. I'm Dr. Devin Garza. I have served you here at downtown campus as an elder for about the last 17 years uh, of about the 19 years that we've been here at Austin Stone. So it is really, really good uh, to be with you this morning. We are going to jump into uh, a psalm today on Thanksgiving. And I say that, and it sounds like it'll be super happy, but you're going to have to stick with me because this is Thanksgiving because of God's faithfulness in suffering. It might get a little bit dark for some of us, but just hang with me. Hang with me, okay? Faithfulness in desperate times. Read this with me, Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you've healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. Give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit? Is there in my death, if I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, be merciful to me, O Lord, my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Two main points today. God is faithful in our suffering. And God is worthy of our praise in our suffering. God is faithful in our suffering and God is worthy of our praise in our suffering. Point one, God is faithful in our suffering. Look, many of us thought that once they become Christian, that the hard life is gonna be over. Those hard relationships are going to mend. The financial struggles, the infertility struggles, the physical struggles, the emotional struggles, the parenting struggles are all going to experience God's free-flowing grace and vanish, or at least by morning. That's just not the Christian experience. Just not. It's not like there's a promise in Scripture somewhere that it is. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans 8, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's awesome. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be be revealed to us. And Jesus himself says in Matthew 10, a disciple's not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. 
So we should never expect to be above Jesus who suffered and knows what it's like to suffer, knows where you've been, what you're going through, and where you're going to be. Let's look at the text and see how David himself is expressing this thankfulness for faithfulness in God's, to, uh, thankfulness to God in his suffering. I will extol you, O Lord, for you've drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. The word extol simply means to praise, next level enthusiasm, okay? He begins to explain some of the reasons why he himself, David, is motivated to praise God so enthusiastically. One, one reason, first reason. He says God drew him up and didn't let him rejoice, didn't let his enemies rejoice over him. I mean, just practically speaking, David was a soldier king. Fighting for his life was a real thing. And this image we see of God putting his hands on him, doing the work of drawing him up closer to himself, restoring David from whatever that drastic life circumstance was that made David realize his hope was no longer in himself. This submissive acknowledgement, God, you did the work, not me. Verse two, oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. Reason number two. We don't know the exact circumstances, but the extent of his circumstances, physical, emotional, spiritual, maybe all three of those things, is what made David to cry out for God's healing. And this prayer, I need what only you can do, God, should not be foreign on the lips of a Christian. I love going back um, through my reap journals or the annotations I made on my app or whatever, at the prayers I had at certain points in my life. And I, I love where God connects these dots as years go by. Um, some of the answers were yes, immediately. Thank you, Lord. Some of those answers were, yeah, but not on your timeline on my timeline because I am working out so many more things than you can imagine, son. And sometimes clearly the answer was no, not now, and not ever. In either case, seeing the answered prayers over time has helped my prayer life and it's helped me to see God's wisdom in how he's answered those prayers. And that's loving faithfulness and wisdom together help my trust and my faith build. Another reason David gives is, oh Lord, you've brought my soul up from Sheol. You restored me to life from among the people that go down to the pit. We're gonna spend a little moment on this Sheol thing. It's a desperate, desperate place that David's in. How does it relate to us? about 3,000 years since David wrote this. And it's a song. Remember, this is a song. How does it relate to the life and purpose of Jesus? Jesus points out himself saying this in John 5. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And they, it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus is saying all scripture Old, new, it's all about him. Let's keep that in mind as we keep on going here. Death is unavoidable. 
No argument. It's what happens after death where there's some differing beliefs and always has been. In David's time, um, since then to Jesus' time, about a thousand years, in scripture there was a little bit of an, an evolution of sorts of the word Sheol and then the way Jesus describes hell. So as God revealed more of himself throughout scripture over time, ultimately revealing who he is in Jesus, the exact imprint of his nature, the radiance of his glory. The belief in David's time for the Israelites, for sure, was that there was kind of a a place you go when you die that's like a collective grave, a collective nothingness, void of emotion, knowledge, wisdom, uh, void of, of, of anything, just darkness. Surely, no praise of God in that place. Later in scripture, we, Jesus, we, we see Jesus talking about a place more than any, he talked more about this than heaven actually, but he talked about this place called hell. Everybody's heard of it. And he describes it in a way that is kind of unspeakably terrifying and terrible. A place of suffering. It's our default eternity. Jesus tells us this. Without accepting, Jesus says this, without accepting that that forgiveness freely offered, without submitting to the authority of Jesus in your life, that's our default eternity. It's why he came. Matthew 16, Jesus tells us, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then again in Revelation, Jesus in a vision to John says, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am living forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. What an image, what a king. But David wasn't dead, right? David clearly wasn't dead. And he uses the words, my soul brought up from Sheol. So the images of this deepest, most inward essence of David in this dark place with the perception of death being imminent. So maybe here in our context in the gym, 2,000 years since Jesus took the uh, keys to the gates of hell, we can think of it like this. In Christ, as a believer, we have been rescued from a Sheol, the way Jesus more correctly describes hell. That's our salvation. And we should all be standing up clapping right now. But if we're honest, as awesome as that is, it just tends to fade into some lofty, unmoving rhetoric over time for many of us. It's okay right now to confess that to God in your mind. I know I've done it this morning five times. It's okay. He knows. A more pragmatic, closer to the ground type of an application would be in Christ as a believer, in our darkest, most desperate, physical, spiritual, and emotional circumstances, we are not alone or too far from his reach to 
to provide comfort and hope and restoration nearer to him. That gets our attention a little bit more, doesn't it? If we're honest. So for those reasons, I'm going to make point two. God is worthy of our praise in our suffering. Verse four, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Remember, this is a song. Right now, David's basically doing Jaleesa's job right now and Aaron's job right now, leading us to facilitate this bond while we're singing, these, singing these words of worship. A lot of ways to worship, of course, but worship and singing is a design God had to let that right brain take over and give that left brain a chance to just rest, okay? Even for my uh, engineer in mathematics and physics brothers and sisters out here, it's God's design. Sing with the voice God gave you. We don't all sound like Jaleesa. Most of us don't. But God gave you a voice, and what father, what good father, doesn't want to hear his kids sing to him, especially when they say, Daddy, I want to sing you a song. Especially when your kids are in their 20s and they still say that. <laughs> the opportunity comes, worship, singing. So a little Mac Brown here. Come early, sing loud, stay late, okay? Uh, you UT folks better like that. Don't even know what I'm saying here. So we have, uh, obviously, the, the, the secular music world, these worldly prophets engage us in this commonality of the ups and downs of the world, and, and they just, it's just kind of cast out there into the chaos of our lives, and we love it, okay? Who can't tap their foot to the stones, right? Not the Austin stones, but the Rolling Stones. Who can't do that, right? But we're throwing that out there into chaos, but when we're here, it's not. We're throwing those prayers up to an anchor, that can actually engage you, that can actually make you feel seen and heard. No one does that like our God. Verse five. I'm gonna spend some more time on each verse than others, so don't worry. I did cut this down from two hours, okay? So, for his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Mm. In David's time, the, the God's anger and wrath was basically suspended by the sacrificial system. It was a way of life for them. It was a way to bring about God's special blessing in their life, atonement for their sins. Of course, all of that pointing, that sacrificial system pointing to Jesus, right? And the ultimate sacrifice for all sin. So if by grace you've been led to a real moment, and I know not everyone here has. I, I know that. I know some people are just come and checking this out today. But engage this, what I'm saying. If you've been led to a moment of true life-altering belief that you are accountable for your self-centered choices, actions and inactions, and that justice would call for some kind of payment for those sins, and that Jesus paid that ransom that you could never pay so that you're in right standing with the Father. If you truly believe this, you've been sealed. Sealed by your faith, adopted as sons and daughters, and sealed with his special favor. God, having done the work, 
allowing you to believe, pulling you up to be close to him. Amen. But that doesn't mean suffering won't come in our lives. It doesn't mean that. David uses the word weeping. Life sense, circumstances in our lives that are so drastic, so overwhelmingly difficult and hopeless that it's soldier king is crying, weeping. And when David says weeping may tarry or linger for a night, we all know, especially those of us with gray beards, some of those nights can last for long seasons. They do. I know some of you here in the room are in some degree of that darkness or you're just healing from something or you have something around the corner. Hang with me. Hang with me. In my seasons of darkness, anxiety, self-doubt, fear, when I realize I can't control something that's so important, and anger, when I feel powerless, paralyzed by my recognition of shortcomings and sin. Why can't I fix this? Why can't I fix them? Why can't I heal them? Why can't I love them better? When I've been in that season, it's been God's love, his mercy, grace that gave hope. God manifesting that, of course, in scripture, but also in, in my community of fellow believers, fellow elders, my wife, my kids, friends, speaking words of truth about who God is, about what his real promises are, shouldering my burdens, praying over me, praying for me when I don't even see them. And that's, it's for us to do that for one another. We're called to do that as community. Weeping will most certainly last longer than a night. But joy comes with the morning. Such beautiful, hope-giving scripture. The symbolism to say, as sure as the sun came up today, as sure as it's gonna come up tomorrow, and we have no control over that, by the way. As sure as that is, that's God's faithfulness. But think about it. I mean, think, get, get your intellect in here just for a second. Earth suspended just far enough from the sun so that we don't fry or freeze. Tilted just right. Spinning it just the right rotation around the sun and spinning on an axis so we don't go flying out into space. The God who designed that and sustains it wants us to know today that he cares about us more deeply than we can imagine. He has pulled us up to himself. Sometimes amidst the chaos of our suffering, we see him even more clearly. He is so worthy to be praised. And David shows us you can you can praise him in the middle of our suffering. Verse six. As for me, I almost want to say that as myself. I say in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. So how many of us have been there? 
Hard to seek God's heart when everything's just going so well. We tend to worship the created and not the creator. We feel entitled to those blessings. It's okay to confess that. I've done it 10 times today. Verse seven, by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. David is saying this thankful remembrance, ah, it was you all along, God, that provided that platform for me from which to glorify you. And I, I, I abused it, I misused it. David was sorrowful in that confession. Verse eight, to you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it split hell of your faithfulness? What a human prayer, pleading. Almost blasphemy, right? David, with all those flaws and distortions so common throughout the characters of the Bible, we see these really often messed up people just like us just like us. And he's saying, God, you made me to be a worshiper, to teach a generation and generations to come how to worship, how to be after your heart, how to confess. What good will I be to you if I die and go into nothingness? I will be of no use to you. And I think that thought has come across many of us when we feel we have sinned too far to be useful for God. And it, it, it causes something in us that makes us run from him rather than run to him. David is showing us, run to him. I think that thought may have put him even closer to what felt like the gates of Sheol. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. All right, just, just imagine this. Put on a scratchy goat hair burlap sack and stand out in the parking lot while you confess and repent. And David is saying that God himself took that off and clothed him with gladness, meaning from the inside, out, a full heart of hope, revived out of his suffering, so that David can then ascribe that glory back to God where it belongs. And he just can't help but sing. Okay, coming to a close here. I know, and I see some smiles. You're like, David, thank you for the reminder, brother. I love that. And I see the faces they're having a hard time with this. Don't miss this. Suffering has a very unique way of making us all realize we're vulnerable, helpless at the end of ourselves, our intellect, our physical, and our emotional abilities to a place where we cry out in desperation and beg for God for help in our weakness. Let's look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in my flesh, 
a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that my power, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I know, I know many of you are hurting. I know that because I have walked along many of you, alongside many of your stories, and we hear them regularly. And I know we don't hear them all. If what we hear is just a glimpse of what's going on in this room, we are a hurting people. Remember also, in our vulnerability, we do have an enemy that loves to take advantage of that. And that's Satan. He does. And there will be whispers, lies, lies of hopelessness, lies about yourself, lies about God, lies about your community, the people you love who have hurt you. God loves me, why am I hurting? Why won't he just say yes? But God is faithful. And in times of suffering, he can bless us in this uniquely meaningful way. Hear this. A deeper revelation of who he is and how he loves compassionately and can bring comfort and can strengthen and reinforce your faith like the roots of a massive tree near a a stream growing deeper and deeper and deeper so that the tree is able to avoid not just this storm, but each one that follows. Jesus knows what it's like to be human, to laugh, to cry, to be misunderstood, to be persecuted, to be treated unjustly, to be abandoned. For us, his suffering was for us, and yet he still provides this path to God's heart. Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those called according to God's purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. How can we trust that all things work for good. How can we trust that? Because they work together for God's purposes. His purposes being infinitely more wise and loving and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, how can we trust God? It's okay to ask that. 
May the Lord himself reinforce what I'm about to tell you. Because Jesus trusted him. Jesus trusted him perfectly. Not the passive, just a teacher like Gandhi or Buddha. Not the watered-down, friendly, easygoing, feather-haired Jesus we see portrayed so often so that no one's offended. But the Jesus that pleaded with the Father. Is there any other way? Father, will you please spare me this suffering? And accepted God's answer when he said, no, son, not now and not ever. And you know what I'm accomplishing. That Jesus that never looked back as he walked to the cross, suffered abandonment, torture, and death. Oh, and God's full wrath. That Jesus that went down to hell, kicked in the gates of Sheol, and took the keys. That Jesus, all motivated for the love of us. Guys, if my suffering makes my faith look one measurable mustard seed, more like Jesus, it's worth it. And if that Jesus can trust him, that's good enough for me. Let's enthusiastically thank him today and praise him today. Let's pray. Bow your heads. Father, not a day goes by that we don't thank you the way we should. We need reminding. You sent Jesus the radiance of your glory, the exact imprint of your nature into this world to rescue us from our default eternity. Make us to see the depth and width of the reflection of how you love us and your power and your mercy and your justice demonstrated on the cross. Make the tether to your anchor in our storms, either this one or the next one, to be stronger in our suffering. Help us to be a people, Lord, that bear one another's burdens. And may you bring about your peace, which surpasses understanding, to guard our hearts and guard our minds in Christ. Father, we believe and we trust. Lord, help where we don't believe and where we don't trust. And in our suffering, Lord, make your nearness known to us. Keep our eyes, the eyes of our heart and our mind, always on you, Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.